All right, everyone, welcome back to the Be Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Connor Murphy, as always, joined today with one of my best friends in the whole world, Nesbit Haggard, also known as Bubba. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Connor. It's great to be here. Where'd you get the nickname Bubba, and why does everyone call you Bubba? Uh, that's an easy one. Uh, so my real name is Nesbit Ward Haggard IV. All right, my dad was a Marine when I was born. We were, uh, I was the second child. My my sister was a year old. And you couldn't say Nesbitt. Uh, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, yeah. Uh, she was just talking and just starting to walk. And uh, she couldn't say brother really well. So when she said brother, it came out as Bubba. And and then that just stuck for my entire life. And it, is there nothing to do with Louisiana down there? Yeah, so everybody there in the family is you know, from Louisiana. And it turns out that it's a thing, right? About 30% of all male-born children are at one point called Bubba in, in the New Orleans area. So it's very common. Like you walk in the airport and you'll hear, Bubba, Bubba, <laughs> trying to catch their little kid running down the aisle. <laughs> so it makes sense, but Bubba stuck with you. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of embraced it. I mean, Nesbitt doesn't, didn't, ever, didn't ever kind of resonate with where I thought it, the kind of person I wanted to be un- until I joined the faculty at MIT. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, there's really no other person that I would know that would fit in as Nesbitt other than you and, and with your accolades, but yeah, I like Bubba so, better. So at MIT, when I, after I joined the faculty, I, I was Nesbitt because nobody would do, um, you know, they have a kind of a secretarial pool and, you know, you're being a junior faculty there, you ask them to do, hey, can you copy these reports for me and send this email or, or do anything like that? And, uh, and nobody would do it for Professor Bubba. They just laugh, right? <laughs> so, so I went to Nesbitt professionally. I stayed Nesbitt for about 10 years, and then now I'm kind of back to Bubba. So Bubba just dropped some bombs on us there, uh, talking about being faculty, not just attending, but being faculty at MIT. How old were you when you became faculty for MIT? Oh, geez, 26, 27? 27 years old as faculty for MIT. For those of you, okay, let's give, 26. Uh, I'm going to give, Bubba, a little bit more of an introduction here. I don't normally like say people's accolades because I like getting into stuff, but I feel like yours are so unbelievably significant that they're fantastic. Bubba, Bubba is a rocket scientist. So when people say it's not rocket science, Bubba can say, well, this technically is. Rocket scientist, went to MIT, professor at MIT, has a bajillion more things that we want to get into and talk about, which we will, but Let's talk about the experience at MIT. I want to talk about what led you to want to go to MIT, and at what point in time did you realize that you were smarter than everyone else? <laughs> uh, it, it's all a matter of degrees. So, uh, yeah, so I was valedictorian in high school. Uh, so I, uh, I kind of knew that I had, you know, I was good at math, and uh, and I wanted to get out away from home and out of Louisiana when I was graduating from high school. I just wanted to get out and see the world. Uh, and uh, MIT gave me a full ride. You know, I, I think my family paid $2,000 to get me to MIT. Uh, so I, student, student loans were awesome. I, I think I exited with like $50,000 in, in debt from my undergraduate years. Uh, so it's uh, uh, just, yeah, so I just wanted to go someplace out, and they gave me the most money. So I didn't go to Princeton, went to MIT. Uh, you show up at MIT, uh, you know, coming from, you know, what uh, was one of the better high schools in New Orleans, but it's a whole different world out there. It's, 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 uh, you know, I, uh, 
I basically started drinking heavily and uh, ended up punching holes in the walls of my fraternity uh, to deal with the stress. <laughs> I mean, you walk in the first day, the first class in physics, right? And you think, you know, I know, I know physics pretty well. And you get like a, a 20 out of 100 on the test. And you're like one of the high scores. But, but just being... <laughs> just being exposed to like how little you know about anything, right? <laughs> and and how, how hard things could be. And like everybody around you is like amazing. They've, they've all done incredible things. Like my, one of my best friends had double eight hundreds on his SAT. Complete, complete mess up, right? Uh, but, but, you know. What do you mean by complete mess up? Well, I mean, he would, you know, Drink a lot, didn't do any, didn't go to the tests. You know, he had all these capabilities, and he ended up switching majors, majors three times. Uh, finally, ended up being a, uh, uh, you know, electrical engineer and doing computer programming. You know, with his skills and stuff. But, you know, you meet the people who are off the charts, uh, and, you know, they're just people too, right? <laughs> what do you think leads to that? I mean, it, it kind of sounds like it, it. There may it might be a common thing. Is it just? always being smart and then faced with the challenge or is it that, like you've always kind of like been a nerd and now you've been exposed to like having this whole new world of partying or going out or college or maybe freedom yeah so it's freedom you know I, I remember it's yeah you're living at home in high school and very directed and then all of a sudden you got a lot of a lot of freedom to do what you want to do but it's also the fact that you know you were king of the hill of your little, little tiny anthill and you realize the anthill's way, way bigger than you thought it was, right? And you're no longer thinking of the hill anymore. So a lot of what kind of gives you validation as a person is it's not there anymore, you know? So you have to figure something else out. Did you play any sports growing up and in college or even just like recreationally around that time? Uh, I wrestled a little bit in high school. Uh, that was a lot, of, a lot of fun, but didn't do it a lot. It was mostly like in the academic things in high school. And then MIT, I, I joined crew and I was pretty much, you know, doing the crew life for four years in undergraduate. Makes sense to why you're good at rowing. Uh, I'm, I'm decent rowing. Uh, I wish I was like, you know, a foot taller. <laughs> be, be Don't we all? Better on a boat. <laughs> but yeah, I, I really enjoy the camaraderie. I like the, the focus and that, that kind of helped help balance things out in, in college. Uh, when did you know that, uh, that aerospace or rocket science, if you will, was something that you wanted to study or maybe even just something that, that intrigued you? Uh, yeah, my whole life I've wanted to be a rocket scientist and be an astronaut or something. Then you realize you can't be an astronaut, so you end up being the, the next best thing, which is somebody who builds, builds spacecraft. Why can't you be an astronaut? Uh, my eyes are too bad. Oh. Yeah, so I, I can't see well enough to get, to really, you know, for the number of people. Eventually they'll send poor-sighted people up into space, but not right now. <laughs> you gotta be able to, uh, you us gotta genetically be able to see flawed people <laughs> are not allowed in space right now, so... So, uh, so you can't go, but you can build it, and you yeah. can send to those yeah. people that you're very envious of. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, um, so I, I realized pretty quick I couldn't do that. So I just wanted to kind of get involved in somehow, and, and I was always been infatuated with going out and doing things in space. It, it's really weird because when I, when I joined the faculty, even though it was aeronautics and astronautics and nominally space stuff, I did some space stuff, but I did a lot of other things too, uh, not just space technology and, and rock, you know, aeronautics and astronautics. More like just engineering systems. Um, what happened with Apollo 13? <laughs> uh, I don't know all the details. I did watch the movie. <laughs> so from, from, from that, like that is actually before my time. You don't be like a time and say, Oh yeah. yeah back Didn't the you phone. study that? No. I feel like that'd be something important to study. No, no, actually I had a couple of major fixes I got involved in. Um, 
Uh, it turns out, I, I don't know, I mean, you know, there, there was a Galileo spacecraft that went to Jupiter, and, uh, and uh, it was kind of a, a famous one because it had a bad antenna and it was all messed up, and they launched it from the shuttle. But it turns out three days before it was supposed to be launched, um, they, uh, they've discovered that they thought it was rotating clockwise when it came out of the shuttle, but it was actually rotating counterclockwise. So the guidance system had it spinning the wrong way, and it, it was like a $5 billion mission, and it would have com been completely lost the moment it was launched if they hadn't have caught it three days before it was supposed to be launched out of the shuttle. And, that, and the, the space program is all like that. It's like just, just at the very edge of time, they catch it. And it it's, it's, you know, it's amazing. These things blow up because they're complicated. And it's amazing. The successes are all because somebody stepped in like right at the last minute and said, wait, <laughs> it's going the wrong way. <laughs> Which is funny because us, uh, you know, simpletons, you're like, yeah, that's one thing that I understand has been like, Clockwise has to go with the clockwise, but I'm sure there's so many different details that like have to be checked that it's like, yeah, these things are insanely complicated, and there's so many things that just get missed, and it's just a tribute. Like, I mean, the whole time, like the uh, the the Webb Space Telescope going up, and uh, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of missions and stuff like that, and I was just like, I said, there's no freaking way they're going to get this to work. There are too many steps that have to happen properly. It's like 300 steps after deployment. That's after it's like 2 million miles from Earth. They've got to like send the signal in, and a few minutes later, they get to know whether it worked or not. Right? It's like completely like remote control, and there's all these deployment steps. And it's just like, it was just absolutely astounding to me that they actually got that working, and it's performing the way it is out there. But that, that's a huge tribute, because I, I know a little bit about what it takes to kind of get these systems out there, and it's just amazing. What's the most interesting thing or project that you've worked on? Or, or I guess, yeah, what's the most interesting? And then, like, what are you most proud of from that side of, of your life? Uh, probably the most proud would be um, uh, a, certain, a certain device, the Hubble Space Telescope. So uh, they launched it and they discovered, oh, shit, you know, this $500 million mirror was, was, was polished wrong. Right, and it's out of focus, right? <laughs> right, so they rotate the pictures, and there's like fuzzy pictures of these galaxies, and they can't get them focused because the mirror is bust. The mirror is not right, right? And just one little thing, and 10 billion things that got, got through the system. Um, so NASA's scrambling, and it turns out the, the person who was in charge of optics for that, or the, the Tiger team to fix it, was, uh, was my office mate at the time. Um, uh, James Fanson. He's now running the Large Magellanic Telescope Array in, in Chile. Uh, and, uh, you know, we had six weeks to come up with and deploy a fix for that, you know. Uh, and the, the problem is they, they, had, they can do another mirror, a correction mirror, but they had no way of getting it there and figuring out how to put it in the right place so that it was actually going to correct it properly. And... Uh, we, we figured out a whole stage. We talked to people. We, I mean, so I was working like, I was like, I was like a volunteer, right? Helping him out and get it deployed. And, uh, and we did it. We, we, we got it deployed. We, got, we went up the Wide Field Planetary Camera 2. They, uh, they got it up there. The, 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 uh, the, the astronauts got it in there. They moved it into position, and lo and behold, it worked. Right? And uh, so that, I'm pretty proud of that. I have, you know, I'm just a random, no-name person on that, but I worked really hard, and it got, got it to work. So that was kind of fun. That's awesome. Yeah. Is that, um, would you say that's like the biggest project you work for as a rocket scientist? Uh, that probably had the most impact. Yeah. Yeah. As far as, you know, 20 years of good photos. 
potentially <laughs> save, <laughs> save the United States yeah. a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it, it did make that, that, uh, that platform workable, and so that was fun. That's cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm still good friends with James. He, uh, he's doing wonderful things down in Chile right now. It's going to an amazing telescope. You know, it's kind of overshadowed a little bit by Web, but it's it's still still doing some. It's 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 like fifty meters across. It's gigantic segmented telescope. So you went to MIT, became a rocket scientist. What is what is the actual like degree? Uh, aeronautics and astronautics. Aeronautics and astronautics. Um, is there any other degree where someone would be considered a rocket scientist? No, I mean, there's you know it's like undergraduate, graduate, doctorate. You know, there's there's multiple possible degrees okay. there. Yeah. So he's a rocket doctor, which is funny because last week we had Doctor Rocket on here. Now we have the rocket doctor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we and I like chuckle back that quite a bit. Um, he's better at bar games than I am. Yeah, he is. Um, you know, interestingly enough, and this is what segue. Everyone's like, Connor, this guy's way smarter than you. Why is he on the BFit podcast? Well, fortunately for us. Um, Bubba's not just a nerd, and he is also incredibly accomplished when it comes to um, general physical preparedness in competing in CrossFit and competing in boxing and doing all sorts of different physical feats. What you can actually notice on him is some scars on his neck that were from what? Uh, well, my partner on the call today thought I'd try to hang myself, but that's not it. It's uh, just from the wetsuit rubbing against your neck after three hours of swimming against the tide. Uh, just eventually it goes through all the lubricants you put down there, and <laughs> it just starts wearing the skin away. What event did you do? Uh, that was the uh, uh, 2024 Tampa Bay Frogman Swim. It's supposed to be a 5K swim across Tampa Bay uh, uh, to raise money. It's a charity fundraiser for the Navy SEAL Foundation. Um, uh, I've done it. This will be my fourth year, uh, uh, and uh, you know, I, I just love raising my. It's a, it's a cause that I believe in, and, and I've got some connection with the people it's helped. Um, so uh, it's always pretty challenging. Uh, it's relatively cold water for me. Sixty degrees is cold, right? <laughs> so I'm in a, water I'm in a wetsuit and, and, and that kind of stuff. And uh, but it's really more cold because you're in there for so long. And this year the tides just were not lining up. And you know, for an hour I was swimming hard and getting absolutely nowhere. You know, just like the, the buoy was just not getting closer, and it was very, very. I was getting pretty. Pretty despondent at the point. Demotivating, I'm sure. Yeah, it was horrible. Right? And, uh, uh, and the waves were pretty kicked. The wind was just enough to kick up the waves, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was pretty miserable. But then you think about what you're doing it for, and uh, you just knuckle down and say, stop feeling sorry for yourself, and just kind of keep, keep pulling on. Eventually, you get across the line, just kind of keep swimming. But uh, yeah, it's, it's always a trying event. I'm still recovering from it, as you can tell. It's going to take a week for, those, uh, for the, the, the rash of the burns to, to, to heal up. I've never seen him on the front. Well, I mean, I've seen him on the front, but for a lot of times you see. Yeah, usually it's in the, the back, back, but I had a new wetsuit that was better there. But my hat, uh, the kind of the, the neoprene hat I oh, wear, the hood. And it, it was it was the, the strap underneath it and then behind it. I, like, you can't tell it behind my head. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to even wear a beanie <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, you know, you talked about the reason and cause why you do it, which is something common that you're used to with doing hero workouts in CrossFit. When did you start doing CrossFit? Yeah, so uh, the story's kind of actually a little fun. Uh, um, my wife came, my wife at the time, my, now, now divorced and remarried, but my wife at the time came home and she was just raving about this new personal trainer she had at, at, uh, at uh, 
uh, the uh, Boston Sports Clubs in Wellesley, right? Uh, and uh, and she was just going on and on about the one this wonderful guy. And I said, okay, I got to meet this guy. You know, I got to get to know him pretty well and find out because because uh, there's definitely something going on here. Um, and uh, that that her trainer was Ben Bergeron, right? So I got to know him, and then and then he did uh, started. Uh, you know, doing fitness classes at a school. He was kind of uh, athletic director. He became an athletic director after when, so I started doing that like 2007. Uh, then through 2008, we were at the uh, uh, Carroll, not, not the Carroll School, but the other school. Um, and I uh, started doing classes, did one a week, then twice a week. And I remember just being amazed at some of the things people could do. But back then, we didn't really know what was like real performance. It was like, you know, oh, there's, there's lots of kind of classic workouts like Cindy, right? And and back then, we were, like, super excited to do, like, 10 rounds of Sydney in 20 minutes, right? So when Bubba mentions <laughs> Cindy, Cindy is a classic CrossFit benchmark workout where you perform as many rounds as possible in 20 minutes of five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, and 15 air squats. Um, and, and the reason for these benchmark workouts were that you could actually track your progress. You know the time, you know the reps, and your fitness level was how many rounds you could perform in that 20-minute window. There's movement standards. There's all sorts of stuff. But back in the day in 2007, there was – if you were doing Cindy in a gym, you were either – you knew what CrossFit was or you were a psychopath. Those were the only two options. There was no, hey, this is a different yeah, fitness. Yeah, and there wasn't a body of knowledge about how well – how hard it was and what you could do. I mean, I remember like – Ben and I had one against each other, and he would probably laugh at this, but, you know, he was doing sub-five-minute France, you know, right? Which, you know, for, for people who know CrossFit, like now they're doing it like a minute 15, right? <laughs> Things like that. And uh, But back then, it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe you did that fast. And it's like, it was like there was this feeling of discovery. You were discovering new things. Like, oh, my God, I can, my, I can do this. Oh, my God, you can, you can do this. You know, it's like, it, was, it was exciting kind of to get, get to know that. So I got, I got deep into the Kool-Aid and was working out like four or five days a week and pushing myself super hard and, and really getting into it. And that led to, and, and what year was that? I mean, we don't want, we don't want to date you um, just because everyone probably thinks you're really, really young. Um, but what year, how old were you when you started CrossFit? Jesus, uh, uh, I don't know. I, so I, I'm 60 now, so I go back. It was, it was two, he it said was, it, not me. It was 17. You wouldn't guess he's 60. It was 17 <laughs> years ago, so that would be, that would be 30, uh, 33, no, 43, 44. I mean, you're the math guy. Yeah, and I, I don't do well in addition and subtraction <laughs> and multiplication. He can build your I actually almost failed multiplication. Don't, have to, don't ask him to tie your shoes. No, I'm not good at like normal that kind of math. The... Uh, uh, you know, probably. So I, the first time I went to the games was 2011. That was I was 49. So how many times have you competed at the CrossFit Games? I've competed six times at the CrossFit Games. Six times competitor at the CrossFit Games. At, at the various Masters, not, not as an individual, but as Masters in the various divisions. Well, it's a Masters individual, but yeah, not as not yeah. the not the main division of what you see, but in the in the Masters divisions where there's categories that that move every five years. Right. Yeah. Um, so back then they weren't every five years, but they, they, they you know, they like, uh, like if you're older than 40, you can compete. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. All right. Yeah. I was like, uh, they were as 50 plus is like the, all the masters in one category over 50. And then they said, okay, we're going to do a, a below 50 category. So there when there's one year I was in the below fifties. So are you the only person who's competed at the CrossFit games who is also has a doctors in rocket? Probably. <laughs> There's not a lot of overlap of that. You bend. can have enough. That Venn diagram is pretty small. Categories. 
where you're going to hit that, which is, I mean, listen, it's incredible. And what's really <clears throat> incredible and what it speaks to more than anything is health and longevity and life. And I always love it because, you know, I tell people our stories all the time. And, we'll be, and, and I almost, I'm almost proud to say, like, I almost wish you were older. I'm like, no, Bubba hangs with us. He does everything. We do the workouts together. He does the swims. He just, you know, he's did a 5K swim in Tampa Bay. And his accomplishments are incredible, but he still takes the time to take care of his body, um, to, play, to work hard. And then as well as that is to play hard and be able to, to go out and have, you know, and have late nights and, you know, and celebrate accomplishments and do all of these things. And so, like, that is, I, th- I think, the greatest, like, overall. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's, um, there's people in the gym who've come in and they're 80 years old, right? Uh, and, you know, they, they've been not doing physical activity for a long time and they, they, they put themselves back in the ring. And, uh, you know, CrossFit gyms can be intimidating sometimes, but I, I try to befriend them all and kind of work them through the motions. I you know, help them out. Like Ben's, ben Bergeron's dad is, is, has come back in the gym and it's great to, like, see him do this stuff. And it's like... At any level, throwing yourself back into things that are uncomfortable for you is, is valuable, right? <laughs> and uh, and that's what convinced me to like do the swim again. I, in 21, I almost died. I got hypothermia. I was in the, 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 the tent. It was just a really bad experience for me. And I kind of like got scared. I wasn't going to do it anymore. And this year I said, damn it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back. I'm going I'm to say it was just as bad, right? I didn't, I didn't get hypothermia this time. But, uh, um, you know, you just got to keep yourself trying new things, throwing yourself out there, getting the ring, you know, just, you know, it's not you compared to everybody else, you know, because at this point, you know, anybody can beat me in anything, right, <laughs> in CrossFit. It's, it's crazy what the sports become. But it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, just keeping yourself challenged and keeping yourself in the, in the game. How do you get that mentality? I feel like that's a tough mentality for someone like you to get who has seemingly from high school to college to what being a professor, it's like you've been the best or if not the best in a group or categorized people of the best. So how do you, how do you step into something that you are going to potentially or likely suck at initially? Yeah, well, oh, nothing has come easy. So I've always sucked at everything I did in the beginning. <laughs> so it's a, you gotta, you gotta work on it. And, and there's a, the list of things I suck at is just endless. So there's lots of things. I, I try not to f- spend all my time on the list of things I'm good at. And, and really try to work at things that I'm not good at. So I'm kind of, you know, just growing at all times, you know. And, like, you know, a couple of years ago, I said, I'm going to learn how to surf. I've never surfed in my entire life, right? And you're going out there and, and, and trying to do that, uh, you know, it's, you know, I'm never going to get the 10,000 hours and be skilled at it. But I just love getting out there and throwing me in scary situations and, and trying something new, right? Uh, and eventually I get to the point where it's a lot more fun and, <laughs> and terrifying. Uh, but, um yeah, I just like to keep myself kind of going in those situations and always kind of keep learning. And that's the, a lot of people get comfortable, especially you get, you get older. It's easy to get comfortable and not throw yourself into more uncomfortable situations. Um, uh, and that's where you start kind of getting old. How did you not get comfortable? How did you avoid getting comfortable? Um, well, so, so like, to go back to being at CrossFit, um, that was just discovery. I had never been... I mean, yeah, I rode in college, but then I took like 30 years off and was like going to the gym a couple times a week and lifting weights and 30 pounds overweight and so like that. So it's like, it was like saying, oh, wow, I, my body can eventually do this and I can do that. And it's like discovery. And then, you know, kind of tapped into the competitive side of me. I like beating people and, uh, and, and I'd like to be, you know, competitive in those in workouts. And there's an element of CrossFit, which is, 
you know, timed, uh, you're with other people, you're trying to compete. And, and that held up for a good, you know, many years. And then you realize that that does, that, that doesn't stay with you. I mean, there's competition's okay, but it's, you're really competing against your old times and you're really trying not, you know, eventually it's trying not to hurt yourself too bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, so now it's like, okay, I'm learning. It's a whole new world of discovery where you're trying to figure out, okay, how did I, you know, stay in the game and still keep doing things and keep pushing myself and growing, but not end up hurting myself in, in, the, in the process. So it's, uh, it's, everything's learning something new <laughs> and trying to figure it out. I don't, have the, I don't have the answer on that one. Do you ever have any fear? Do you have any fear where, you know, people are going to be like, oh, look at this guy who sucks at this? Or have you just had so much success in your past life that it's okay to suck at one thing? Yeah. So, so, it, so I spent like the better part of two nights ago talking to people about like, like, you know, you're the dumbest rocket scientist I've ever met, right? So that's the, that's the phrase people give me. Like the, and it, it, it's absolutely true. I'm very good at some things, and I'm really, really bad at other things, right? And, and I think that's, you know, that's kind of a philosophy. Like, everybody's really good at a few things uh, and, and probably suck at other things. And, and you just have to embrace that because that, that's... That's life, and you try to get less sucky at the things you're bad at, right? and, and uh, you try to utilize the things you're good at as much as you possibly can, you know. And uh, you know, so just because you know I've been at MIT and I've got some success on the, the engineering side, it doesn't mean I'm a great person manager. It doesn't mean I'm a great communicator. It doesn't mean I'm a great. There's, there's the list of skills you need to be successful in life is so long, you know. Being able to you know piece you know technical things together. It's just one of those like twenty important skills, right? <laughs> and I'm weak in not ten of them, right? So uh, yeah, it's um, people expect because you're good at one thing in a in a you know, kind of a obvious way that that you'll therefore be good at other things. It just life isn't like that. I mean, I imagine there are people like yourself, and uh, you, you know, you like you're really naturally good at a lot of physical activities, surprisingly so. And I'll tell a story about you. That just absolutely incredible. Um, but there are things you're bad at too, right? <laughs> yeah, like everything else that doesn't require some athletic capacity. Yeah, but there was like there was one time at my house we were just uh, hanging out and uh, and I had some rings because I was a CrossFit crazy person and I had some rings hanging in the house. I had a big overhead that you can do muscle ups and stuff like that. And we were just you know we had a bunch of guys in the house and we were just throwing the football around inside the house. It was like kind of a wide open space. And, and Connor says, hey, you, you want to, I, I bet I can throw this football through this ring, right? <laughs> and you could not fit the, the ball through the ring. I mean, it was tough if you wanted to. There's a wooden ring. It's about yay big around. The football barely passed through. If you were holding both at the same time and, and pushing it through. Connor steps about, about I'd say about 50, yeah, maybe 30, 20 yards. Uh, you know, he was really Maybe not 20 yards. 20 yards, maybe 20 feet. I don't know. Either it, it just winds up, throws the ball, goes right through the ring. The ring didn't even know to move. It just kind of, <laughs> the ball goes right through. It's like, what the hell? I, you know, all my life, I've wished for some sort of like natural athletic ability where I could actually just kind of, you know, do something without tripping or falling or like, <laughs> you know, cross is great because it's the same thing. You repeat it again and again and again and again. So you, you can, you can practice, but like, you know, running in football or, or baseball or some other motions, I'm lousy at that shit. And I've I got no kind of natural athletic capabilities besides like being into it and, you know, trying mental toughness. It's the only thing I've got going for me. The, uh, 
but uh, yeah, it's just like crazy capabilities. But you know, yes, you got that. You got amazing athletic abilities. Um, but you know, there's other things that, that you don't. And everybody's like that. Everybody has super strong things and and things that they need to work on. I mean, I like that. I think that I think where success comes is being able to embrace that and being able to do things that you suck at. However, you know, this is something where I've always, you know, something I've always liked to do with my friends is I always like to ask our friends about each other. And it's like, how would you describe Bubba to someone who's never met him before? And a couple of people that's at Dee's wedding, that's a couple of people that I, you know, I'd asked Marino and in that speech was like, hey, how would you describe this person? But when I first met you, and something that I admire more than anything, when I first met you, technically I didn't know I met you until you came down to St. Thomas. Remember at Morse Tavern? Yeah, I remember. After that one, yeah. that one didn't really <laughs> count. But um, Jeff and James, uh, two good friends of mine, were like, hey, we're going to come down. The whole plan was in a couple days before. They were like, hey, we have a friend, Bubba. Um, he's a member at CrossFit New England. He really wants to come, and we think he should come. And for me, I'm like, well, I know Jeff. I kind of know James, and now there's another stranger. I knew nothing about you. I knew nothing about your background. I knew nothing about your past. I didn't know where you went to school. I didn't know what you did for work. But within the first five minutes of meeting you, I was like, this guy's really happy. This guy's in a really, really good mood, and I enjoy his company. And since then, I don't know if I've ever had a time where I'm like, hey, I wonder if Bubba's doing all right You've just always had such a positive attitude, even in the not best of situations, even when, when things are going to be tough, but you've always been a pleasure to be around. You've always just been someone where it's like, you can always count on Bubba to not, not sulk. I've never hear you complain about something. I don't hear you say anything negative about other people. How have you over the years, and I'm sure, I mean, it hasn't been from, from what I know and from what I don't know. It hasn't all been, you know, rainbows and butterflies. How have you remained, how have you been able to remain so just unbelievably positive and then, and then give that impact onto everyone else in our friend group? Yeah, big question. Big question. The, uh, so first, let me put it in consequence. I was terrified to go down to St. Thomas first trip, right? <laughs> uh, you know, A, we're going to train with Connor Murphy, who's a games competitor, the, 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 you know, in, in Latin America. Uh, he, he's a coach at a CrossFit gym there. I was going with James Hobart, which was, he was a, you know, he, He's so if you just put legend. me here on the pedestal, this is about where James Well, at the at, time, so, yeah. James was like, you know. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, he was doing all the videos for CrossFit, and, like, and I was a hack. and Individual and, athlete yeah. and team. And, yeah. It was amazing. And, and I, you, just, you just watch James move, just anything, like a snatch. It's like, oh, my God, I, I'm not worthy to be in the same room. Um, and uh, so the fact that he was like, think, hey, you should go. And, uh, and Jeff was an amazing athlete. It's like I say. All right, I'm just going to be the guy who sits in the corner and pouts right the whole time because <laughs> I'm not, I can't hang with these guys. Um, but uh, it was an amazing trip. We got to, got to know each other really well. Well, you don't know at the time, I was going through a really, really hard divorce. And, and so just, I was so happy because I was away from the divorce at the time. <laughs> it was like, oh my God, there is a life outside of this misery for the last 25 years. And, and um, uh, I, uh, you, know, you, that, you know, the world's a little larger than, than I, you know, you get into your hole in the middle of these divorces where everything's bad. And, and, uh, and stepping outside of that was, was wonderful with people who could just take you for who you are and, and not necessarily linked back to your life and, and the divorce you're going through at the moment. So it was great to be able to be, have a fresh start and, and meet new people and, and to, 
kind of be able to, you know, be the kind of person that I couldn't necessarily be inside of the relationship I was around them. I guess that makes sense. I mean, I knew, I found out afterwards that that's what you were going through, but my question still remains the same is, you know, you never, you never wanted anyone to know what you were going through or, you know, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a bad thing, but you you never complained about it. You weren't like, Oh, if you knew that I'd be like this, it was just like you were ready to embrace whatever was going to come your way. Yeah. Well, so yeah, yeah. So coming out of that relationship makes you open to things, but it's also, I mean, it was, it was really bad situation. I mean, my, my ex had substance abuse and kids were involved and it was just, it was a very, very hard situation. Um, and, uh, it gives you a certain perspective, like on, you know, like what are hard problems and what are easy problems. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I was just reveling the fact that, you know, uh, you know, that this was different that, you know, that I, I didn't, I wasn't facing that problem right that moment. And, uh, and, um, and, and just enjoying that, you know, just as much as I possibly could. You know, just uh, just like you know, it's eating like you know, just eating like fresh fruit for the first time. You know, when you've been having cereal forever, <laughs> it's like it's a, it's it's a very different world. <laughs> and and then to continue on from that, I mean, from who you've been for a friend, for me, and for everyone else, and just like just unbelievably positive. You know, I I know people that that have a ton of success in their world and life, and they they choose and sometimes focus on the negative, and it's tough. But I've never felt that from you. How do you think you're able to to be in that? Or if there's someone who is focusing on the negative, what's some advice that you can give someone to 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 get better at it? Well, yeah. So yeah a an awareness of there are there are real problems and there are imagined problems, and the real problems they'll hit you and you'll know when they hit you right? <laughs> but a lot of people are just like so deep in their imagined problems right you're like, oh, my work is uh you know not going quite well or, or you know there's there's but then there's like you know things where there's people's lives at stake and stuff and so there's perspective there that that helps ground you uh the other is just you know I try to practice gratitude uh, on what I have and, and the, the positive things I have in my life all times. Um, I, I think that's a great practice and keeps people like, okay, well, this, you know, everybody gets sucked into the negatives. What about the positives you have going? What are they, the relationships you have with some people, um, your friendships, uh, you know, the freedom you have to do what you want to do. Um, you know, I, you know, you, there's, there's so many blessings that I have had and have gotten over the years that, um, it makes it easy not to be, <laughs> you know, tied up around the bad things. Um, but, uh, yeah, if you focus on those things, it makes it easier to not focus on the negatives and, and dwell on those. Because like anything else, I mean, I know some, some of my best friends are, are, you know, they have everything in the world going for them. And yet they're all, they're always down on themselves. You know, and there's some of that you got to be self-critical. You got to be self-analytical. You've got to be saying, okay, these are my strengths and my weaknesses. I've got to take assay of that, and I've got to like address them. But if you just constantly pound yourself, and you're constantly saying, oh, I didn't do that well in that workout, or, or, or you know, you, if, you, if you keep on hitting yourself, it's kind of productive, and you can give get into that world where you're you're you're, you know, I'm, I'm just a bad person. I can't do this. I can't do that. It's like, no. Look at what you have going for you. You know, you know the friend I'm talking about here. <laughs> so sometimes you just have to break out of that and say, listen, you know, you, you do have a lot going for you. Just shut the, you know, sh- shut up. <laughs> you know, get that voice out because it's absolutely wrong. And uh, and you know, um, 
and, and move on from that. One thing I, I have to say is like, like everybody has these voices that they're their story they tell themselves uh, about themselves, like who they are and, and how they are. And, uh, and sometimes that can go negative and they got to like not listen to it. Right? <laughs> and you have to realize that everybody's telling themselves stories all the time about, you know, the kind of person they should be or the kind of person they are or, you know, how they, why they handle the situation a certain way or something like that. Everybody's living in this created little world of their, you know, their own, their own imagination. And if you, you appreciate that, you realize that, okay, uh, this is just a story I'm telling myself and I'm overly negative and I got to stay, I got to, I can make that story a positive story. Negative self-talk is definitely something that I think plays a deeper role than people think it does, whether they do it jokingly or not jokingly. <clears throat> something actually funny, a couple weeks ago when James was out here, uh, when we were, uh, went to the Aoki concert, we were training. Huh. Um, he, uh, he was talking about when, when people like say, even jokingly, like, you know, say something negative about themselves. Uh, I think he was actually referencing his wife, Cassandra, yeah. you know, just her like jokingly saying something. And, and his response was, Hey, you don't talk about my wife like that. <laughs> and it's, and it's funny because it's funny, but it's true because I can joke with you about stuff and, and, you know, have these conversations, but if anyone else that I knew were to try to say something negative about you, it'd be, you know, this would be fighting words, you know, and, yeah, but, well, that's, that's you, your close friends and your spouse or whatever it is, are the people who you are loyal to and support, right? Right. And I think, <laughs> and I think sometimes, and sometimes it's a good realization. Maybe that's something that people can try where it's like, when you hear someone's negative self-talk or someone who's close to you, it's like, don't put up with it. I wouldn't put up with it if someone else said it. So why am I going to put up with it if you said, if you were going to come in here and be like, oh man, I can't believe I, uh, I wasn't an astronaut. I just became a rocket scientist <laughs> and I can, you know. Yeah. And I get, get into the Stoics a little bit like that way. Like you're, you are the master of your, your, your creative world and your opinions about things. And right. you are, you know, eventually responsible for the situations you allow yourself to be concerned about. Right. And, uh. And yeah, so people can work on that, just like they can work on, you know, becoming a better, you know, learning a new language or or, or whatnot, right? So um, that's that kind of self growth. I'm, I'm I'm warming up to that a lot. I feel like it's a positive that maybe you've kind of sub obviously subconsciously had. It's things that you've already done well without really knowing that you're doing it. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe, uh, uh, you know, like I said, I've got a lot of blessings and it's going to be easy in a lot of ways for me. Um, but I've had some hardships, so I know I, I you know, you, you can persevere and that gives you a sense of like, yeah, I can, I can, I can make through these sorts of things. Um, yeah, it's, uh, there's a confidence that comes with some success in some areas that you can then like, you know, staple onto something else. <laughs> you know, probably is un, un, unwarranted, but you can still do it, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, I'm a good rocket scientist. I should be good at CrossFit. <laughs> I can do anything. Yeah, exactly. But you, you get a lot of people that think they can do anything because, and sometimes it's not warranted. So, I, I, I'm a big one on humility and just kind of like you need to need to have a certain. You got to address things a little bit, even though you've had some successes. You're not gonna. You can't be winning everything, and it doesn't mean you're good at everything. You got to admit that you got, we've got things to work on. What do you think is a greater curse? Um, believing you can do anything or believing you can do nothing? Oh, uh, 
That's a tough one because they're both awful. <laughs> Uh, I think. Well, sorry. <laughs> believing you're good. No, not because you're, <laughs> believing you can do anything is good, right? You're like, ah, I can work on something. You're good. Um, well, that's delusional. Believing, that's delusional. But okay, so <laughs> so rework. Believing you're good at everything, or believing you're going to be bad at everything. Uh, definitely believing you're going to be bad at everything is the biggest curse because that one stops you from doing it, and you you want to be doing it, right? So much better to believe you're going to be doing at everything and try it, and then realize the truth. Than, than to not try it at all. So I'm always, you get yourself out there, go do it, suck at it, and then, then, and then address that afterwards, right? Better to be the man in the arena than the critic. Yeah, so, so you definitely you know, think you can do it. I mean, I, I don't think any startup would be ever founded without people who thought they could do something they really couldn't do. Right? <laughs> now you, I mean, again, There's got to be a bravado there. You have, to have, you have to be like, you know, you got to be like the, the troubadour out there with the bull. <laughs> that bull's not going to kill me. Yeah, yeah, it's gone. <laughs> you're, well, you're doomed and it's okay. <laughs> a good segue into, into business stuff. So I want to hear kind of your thoughts on, you know, you just said you can't start a startup or you can't, you know, create a startup without being maybe somewhat delusional or at least... No, you, a big piece of that is like you've got to be blissfully unaware of, <laughs> of all the things that are, it's going to take. And that's actually my challenge as an investor in startups right now is, is, you know, with years of experience, you realize all the ways that these things can fail. And it's just an immense list. And it's very easy to be like the Eeyore in the room saying, oh, yeah, you're not going to be able to get that. You know, you're not going to be able to grow through that. You're going to penetrate that market. You're not going to be able to get that competitor down. It's so easy to come in and just be, you know, the negative Nancy. Um, and, uh, but I, I do respect a lot of the kind of the bravado that, that you know, the young entrepreneurs have, have. Like, I can do this. I, I, I can, I can, I can, I'm offering something important. I can, I can make a difference. I can build this company. And, uh, and it takes that because you got to run out over the cliff like Wile E. Coyote. And, and maybe you'll fall a couple times, but eventually you get to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> so one commonality is that slight delusion that you can do that. Being business, as long as you've had and have the success that you had, what are some other things? Are, are there any other common denominators that you see with, with startups that are going to be successful versus ones that may have potentially as good of an idea, if not better, that fail? Yeah, no... Um, in general, I'd say there's there's um, there's a person who is devoted to process, like the path, the way of doing something, puts the energy and time in, even though it might not yield so well, right? There, there's the the dreamer who has a great idea, but they can't execute, and then there's a person who maybe has an okay idea, but damn it, they're going to spend the forty hours, the eighty hours, they're going to send all those emails they have to send. You know, we recently invested in a company. Um, and the guy had sent 50,000 emails out to every defense department there was to find out who might be interested with his technology. And uh, it just just grind, just grind out the emails, to spend 10 hours just doing it. And a lot of, a lot of building companies just grind. And uh, so, you know, somebody who will execute, who's willing to execute is a huge, huge piece of the, the equation. That's interesting. It's not always the idea. It's a, a lot of it, you know, everybody, ideas are a dime a dozen. It's who can actually, you know, do the hard work of making it happen. And nothing, if it was easy, you know, you know it would have happened already. There, there's so many, 
there's so many people out there trying to get the easy fruit. <laughs> it's the hard things you want to look for, and somebody's willing to climb climb that hill and die on that hill. It kind of seems like that goes a little bit hand in hand with not having a fear of looking bad. I know for me in the past, it's like, you know, in past business ventures, I don't want to seem desperate. I don't want to be, you know, when we were selling the last tickets to Wad on the Waves, like just like trying to give them away to people to do that. Like I didn't want to be known to do that. So it's like, oh, your your first company wasn't a great success on the very, very first cruise, you fucking loser. Like I didn't like, <laughs> that's what I thought people were going to think in there. And that probably made me a little bit more reserved from putting myself out there, going to a different gym each day, whether you get one person per every five gyms you go to that want to sign up for it. Like at that point in time, it was a different mindset for me. I wasn't willing to do that. So, I mean, what do you think? Was it the fear of looking bad? Was it because I don't think I'm afraid to grind at that, but. Yeah, no, so, I, so, so really interesting. I was thinking about like things to possibly talk about today. And, uh, and one of them came up that I really want to spend some time on was, you know, how to address the fear of looking bad, right? Because, you know, so I'll tell you a story, right? Um, so, I, my first company I put together, uh, you know, I, I struggled. I was, this is the company I left MIT for. So uh, we were raising money. The VC said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll fund you. I'll give you $20 million if you stay. I said, yeah, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave MIT behind. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abandon my tenured faculty position. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay with this company. Right? Immediately, as soon as they get funded, you say, oh, we want you to stay as an advisor. Not, <laughs> so, oh, so you, you just retired, you just resigned your tenured slot at MIT, a lifetime job, right, to, to keep 35 people employed. Um, but we don't really want you to do anything, you know, we, we don't want to have any real responsibility. So I struggled in that company for four years just advising them, telling them, you should do this, you should do this, like not able to actually implement or do anything. Uh, so I left that company, and it was a, you know, ended up being not a great, you know, great success. So I had a pretty remarkable failure. Um, I go to my next company, which I, I'm like out of a whim. I, you know, six months, no income. You know, I've, I've, I've come up with this idea, which is a bunch of paper you know, uh, and uh, I'm going down to VC saying, hey, you know, could you fund me on this and stuff like that? Uh, and I was talking to one VC and said, yeah, yeah. So, you know, one of the things we really like is the fact that your, your, your last company just completely tanked. You know, and I said, you like that? Right? So, yeah, we actually don't. This is a big, this is a Kleiner Perkins. This is a major venture capital company. And they said, yeah, we don't, we don't fund anybody unless they've had at least one really, really big failure on their, on their resume. Right? <laughs> And I was like, okay, why? Right? He says, well, you know, because they tried and failed, and you got to know what that's like. You got to, you got to, you got to experience what it's like to go down the tube, right, and, and see everything kind of crumble around you to know what it's like to a to avoid it and b to know what what, what it's like to win, you know, and, and what it takes to win, right? Uh, so, so that's what I said. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you got to embrace your failures, right? Because they will be the things that you build on when you actually get to your successes. And um, so I, I do that. I mentor a lot of companies. I mentor a lot of like uh, uh, you know startup founders. And you get that a lot. Like fearful. I don't want to look bad with these VCs. I don't want to. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And it's like no. You, you know, it, trying is the most important thing. Getting out there, doing it, seeing what doesn't work, reacting. You know, I, I tried this marketing strategy. I got nothing. Say you got nothing. Embrace the fact you got nothing. Figure out how to fix it. Don't hide the fact that you did not, it didn't work. It's more important that you got out there and you did it, right, and you saw and reacted 
you know, your cycle time, how you fix problems is more important than whether you failed in something or not. That's really interesting. Yeah, you, you want to fail as much as possible, it turns out. <laughs> I mean, it is. And I have a list of affiliates that go a mile deep, right? I mean, there's, there's, I mean, like my last company, I barely pulled it out because, you know, I misjudged the character of the person I was working with. Um, and, uh, you know, okay, you know, live and you learn, you know, <laughs> you, 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 you know that, was, that was almost a very big mistake. It turned out being a good exit and I made money for the investors and, and stuff like that, but it was, it was almost a zero. It came very close to being a zero because I could not work with this individual any longer. So I, mean, I almost like wrote it off and said, no, I'm just gonna, we're just gonna get out of this. <laughs> I, can't, I, I, I was at my wit's end and, uh, uh, and, and that was just a lack of, un, you know, not appreciating kind of the, the strengths and weaknesses and whether this person, you know, in, in, being a poor judge of character, not and a great judge of character there. So I've learned, <laughs> I've learned and, uh, you know, and you, you got a lot of things and every, every one of these mistakes can be a great learning opportunity. And, uh, and, and it also makes you humble too, right? You just, every one of these workouts will crush you, make you feel awful and like you didn't, didn't do it well. And then every now and then you do a good one and you feel good about it. It's like every now and then, like every, once every three or four months, I do a workout called Nate. Because that was the one workout I could do really well on. It's been muscle ups, enhanced hand push ups, all the kind of lighter body weights. So smaller guys like me can usually accelerate on that, yeah, do well on that. And I just do that just to feel good about myself because I sucked at so many other workouts. Right? You got to have that, that one little win. <laughs> yeah, you got to have that one workout. Like you, like, you like it, you just go back to that and have that, like, have that coffee cake or have that, have that ice cream at night or have that, have that one workout that makes you feel good about things. So Nate is a CrossFit hero workout. Uh, named after Nate Hardy, and it is as many rounds as possible in 20 minutes, two ring muscle-ups, four strict or four handstand push-ups, yeah. and eight kettlebell swings, the two-pood kettlebell, which also weighs 70 pounds? Yeah, it's a 70-pound kettlebell, yeah. That, that's the hard part of that workout for me. 72 pounds. 70 yeah. pounds? 72. Yeah, 72 pounds. Yeah, that was the hard part of that workout. So, but, but, but I excelled the muscle ups and the handstand push ups. So that made it made. Yeah, like I was competitive, and I think I could feel good about those workouts. Uh, but yeah, but you know, give me a rowing and a, a weightlifting workout. It's <laughs> so, yeah, you got to suck at some things. You got to embrace that and move on. I, it, you know, when you're when you're telling me that, instead of thinking, oh, how am I going to respond to this? I was just trying to. I was just kind of like pinpointing everything you were saying to try to listen because it was so relative to a lot of my experiences. And, you know, times when you don't want to be like, oh, I tried this and I failed. It's, it's like, oh, we've done like all of these things successful. But I'm like, even my company now, I'm like, man, we've, I've had a couple ideas that I was like, yeah. And then after trying it and trying it and trying it and until there's no more trying and you're like, okay, maybe this was just a bad idea. This was, this was what, I can tell you what doesn't work, this. So now we have this list, a li- just one shorter of what, what could work. And, and sometimes you know, the, the reason why it failed is something you just were not aware of or is completely out of your control or like, it's like you know, people just don't like doing that, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and there's no way you can imagine all the reasons why things don't work. You, you have to be out there and cycle. So like when I do a lot of high kind of deep tech startups and they've got a lot of technology cycles and they're complicated systems, I said, don't, don't worry about whether it's going to work or not. Worry about how fast you can iterate. How many, how, what's your cycle time to get the next learning? 
you know, how fast can you make that device, test it, and then fix it? Because that's the important thing, how many times you can go through and fix it, not, not whether you got it right and you stumbled on that, that first design. I suppose you almost think about like an iOS system, right? If they waited, if Apple waited to make sure that they had every piece of technology that anyone ever wanted in a phone, yeah. they still wouldn't have an iPhone. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Like on the, you know, like, like it's my, I, I had a dad who made me mow the yard like four times to get every little blade of grass right. And I once edged my yard five times just to make sure it was all properly edged and stuff like that. So he was just like, he was a crazy person and, and just forced that into me. So I, I've got a lot of that residual perfectionism. So it's very hard for me to kind of do this and, and, uh, and, uh, and not to do things right and just kind of go and, 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 one the, 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 the company where I made the bad choice with the, the founder, the, um, it, was, uh, it was a software company. And what, what I didn't realize is that all software is horribly broken. Right? <laughs> it's just how fast people find it, right? <laughs> and so we would launch things like, oh, my God. It's like, you know, I just, I just hope we don't get 12,000 people coming back with this payment error, right? <laughs> And that kind of took all the kind of like in, in the engineering sciences in aerospace, you know, you test and retest and and you work until it's perfect, right? In in software, you're throwing stuff out there that is not even close to perfect and just iterating and going. And and frankly, I, I think in a lot of ways, unless there's a lives at, at stake that it has to be right, like in a launch with people on it or something, um, it, it's it's okay to kind like of, a heart stint. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's okay to make mistakes unless somebody dies. Right? <laughs> then it's a little bit. Then the consequences are a little bit more serious. Yeah. So that, that that company did teach me that that it, you know you iterate, just, just throw it out there, uh, get it good enough. You know, it, you know, like it's 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 a cliche now, but you know, good enough. Um, you know, perfect is the enemy of good enough, and get get things going. We'll work our way back into fitness, but kind of one more question that I have for you on this topic is. We talked about some things where you're like, hey, here's another common denominator of success. Are there any surefire ways where you're like, that's going to be a failure? Are there anything that you see in a company where you're like, not a chance because of X? Uh, let's see. Surefire, not a chance. Because um, I'm sure even working with like the wrong egos cannot be fun, but can still be successful. Yeah, but that's the number one. So it's the, the people involved in the company is the number one indicator of whether it's going to be successful or not, right? So we look for a measure of capability. You know, they don't have to be fantastic, but they have to, like, they have to be able to execute and, and work, and they have to be, you know, be able to figure out what the hard problem is or what they really have to solve. The filter is important. Like they have to figure out what they need to do and let go of the things they don't need to do. Right? Yeah. So, so that's a big skill is, like, you know, filtering out and only, you know, spending your time and effort on the most important things. So ego is, is the biggest issue um, you get with, with the startup founders is uh, they, they think they can do anything, which is good sometimes, but it can be bad, right? Because <laughs> uh, they, um, they, uh, they don't have the humility to kind of appreciate that they're going to have to work, right? That, that you know, if, if, it, if it fails, they're going to have to revolve and they're going to have to admit they were wrong. And sometimes ego gets in the way of people admitting that they're wrong about things. And uh, so that, that's a common way I see companies kind of going down is a fear of failure, a fear of racing failure, uh, and uh, because their ego is too important. I mean, Almost like fear of admitting failure. And every, every situation where I've misjudged a person has been because they were, uh, you know, really had narcissistic tendencies. They were just all about themselves and their ego and protecting that as opposed to embracing the process and their failures and, and, and learning and growing. 
So it's that kind of that growth mentality is the biggest indicator of success. Narcissism is the biggest indicator of failure. Huh. It's, um, it is crazy how we can just naturally draw a lot of things back into the CrossFit gym. And I try not to be the podcast that always talks about CrossFit, but it's like, it's what I know and it's given, assisted in just improving the quality of life in so many different people. But you talk about that. It's like, what's going to kill someone in a CrossFit gym is an ego, is someone who other people don't want to be around that's so involved with themselves and not involved with the greater community. And the greatest bit of success that's going to come from a CrossFit community is the ability to put in work, is having humility and being able to show up day in, day in when those workouts are going to suck and all that stuff. Yeah, so so one of the biggest, so there was the exercise, fitness, you know, physical aspect of CrossFit. Mm-hmm. And then there's community aspect of CrossFit. And I had, I, you know, go, you know, I was one of the first 10 at, at CrossFit New England, right? So I was a family member, Ben's good friend. I was, you know, it's, it's um, you know, in the early days of CrossFit, it was very, very much a community. Everybody's there supporting everybody else through their trials and tribulations and their hard workouts. And ben, one, one second, when he references Ben, he's talking about Ben Bergeron, who is the owner and operator of CrossFit New England, one of the most OG CrossFit affiliates in the world. Also one of the most successful from a competition side and known for incredible communities. Ben is known for just being an outstanding coach and motivator in that. So when he references Ben, it's a big deal because of... And I don't want to go... I'm not going to talk about his coaching or anything like that, but but we had built a very special community at CrossFit New England in the early days. I, I think all CrossFit gyms maybe migrated away from that, but it was... CrossFit in the early days was just like, it was like, you know, underground fight club. Just get in there and do something, everybody's supporting you. But for me, you know, when I was going through my, my kind of hard times with the divorce and stuff and the substance abuse and I, having that community to support you, you know, whether they knew it or not, they were still supporting you and, and, and for you and your, for your development. Um, uh, that was incredibly important. So, so after I exited one of my companies, I wanted to get back into there and kind of help building that. And this is when I, this is like, I built a company called Tribe, which was software for gyms. And we focused it, you know, just all the tools for communicating with your members, getting that community formed. And I, and I really loved kind of that, that branding, that, that, that kind of mission for the, for the, uh, for, for the company of, of not really focusing so much on the fitness aspects and, and the performance tracking and the leaderboards, but more on, you know, what makes people come together and why are they coming together around this gym and, uh, and the kind of the community aspects. And I think that's one of the biggest and most important things about CrossFit that isn't necessarily, it's not necessarily carried forward anymore. You know, now they got the competitions uh, with people like, you know, the, 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 the blazing, amazing athletes and, and the, the, the prize monies and, and you, know, the, you know, you don't you don't get back to the community support and the cheering when people finish the workouts and those things that are, I think, way as you know, for a person who's coming in there, they're overweight. They're 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 spending the time and effort to get into the gym and do this, and 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 having other people help them through that is enormous, and that's one of the biggest values I, I saw across from. It gave, gave me a lot, and that's why I stick with it. That's why I gave back in that company and try to form the company around that. Um, and that's why I still do it today. It's just to kind of see people go through the journey of help. I mean, I was CrossFit coach for three years at, at, at CrossFit Cape Ann. Uh, never got paid for it. <laughs> still keep up with all the people in the class because you form a relationship helping these people reach their goals and, 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 and do things. I'm still great friends with that. I had, had an amazing time with people helping, helping them do that. 
it's 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 rewarding for sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's a it's an amazing experience, and and seeing people kind of grow in that community and friendships and encouraging that is just just so much. Do you think that aspect has helped you from a, in a business perspective? Um. Yeah, well, the, the, the coaching and communication have certainly helped. Uh, I'm not a natural communicator, so, you know, how to lay out, you know, a fun workout or explain to people, you know, it's one I didn't really do well as a teacher at MIT. It's very hard for me to go and, and tell people, you know, information. Um, so uh, to, the more you do that, the better you get at it, and it's, uh, that, that's helped. Um, you know, appreciating community and leadership and in, in that sort of stuff and helping people along and developing subordinates or developing um, uh, athletes, to, you know, that, that helped in the mentoring and, and helping people grow in your company. Um, has somebody pick companies? I don't know about, you know, picking companies or whether it's, you know, but, but growing talent in, in the companies and, and, and taking, you know, people who could, do the work and moving them into positions that, that would help them uh, develop to the next level, that it certainly has done that. You get to see who's, who's got the grit to do it right? and, yeah. and, and who can expand into something new and who wants to try new things. That's pretty cool. I feel like I learned a lot from like, the business side of things from you know, our decade plus of being friends and conversations and that stuff. But to be able to sit down and kind of hear some of this stuff and kind of hear like, you know, your advice towards just like things in general rather than it just being my life is just incredibly profound and potent to get that much information in an hour like there's a there's a part in that when you were talking and I was like I'm gonna I'm gonna be like hey if you're gonna listen to anything in this podcast (laughs) if you're not gonna listen to it listen to this if you are gonna listen to it listen to the whole thing but like at like this point in time when you kind of reference a lot of that stuff because you have you have been there you have done that you have a an unbelievable wealth of knowledge from Obviously, you, your your life experiences and and the extent of you know sometimes the negative, a lot of positives, but it's uh it's really cu- cool to hear you kind of openly talk about it, even the struggles that have you know, inevitably come up along the way. So I think people are really going to benefit from kind of hearing about you, your new oh, life thanks. story. Thanks. I mean, th- you know, I'm. I decided to do the podcast because I'm really lousy at podcasts <laughs> and, and, and I, I just got to keep myself throwing into the rink and eventually it'll stick, you know, I'll, I'll get better at it. And, uh, and, you know, I'm trying to get better as a communicator and somebody who can talk about things and, and relate to people. And, and, uh, you know, and, and that sort of, that sort of those, those sorts of aspects of my life I'm trying to get better at. So Amazing. this has helped me, it helped me kind of get a little better and a little more comfortable doing this sort of thing. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, if you guys have any questions for Bubba directly, um, Bubba, what's the easiest way for people to get a hold of you? Uh, I'd say probably email, you know, behaygood at 10 or You or, want to spell that out for everyone? Yeah, behaygood, B-H-A-G-O-O-D, at 10inventures, T-E-N-O-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E. S.com. <laughs> English and spelling is another one of my, my, my weaknesses. <laughs> or my, my personal email, bubhaygood at gmail.com. B U B H A G O O D. At gmail.com, yeah. Yeah, those are the easiest way to uh, get a hold of me. What about like, people on social media? They're like, I want to follow 
I want to follow this absolute weapon of a human being. Oh, yeah, all my, my 20 posts. <laughs> Bub, Bub Haygood, uh, well, Bubba Haygood, I think, in Instagram. At Bubba Haygood. At Bubba Haygood, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you'll get some you'll get some frogman swim posts trying to raise money. You'll get some some pictures of people in pretty places, <laughs> waterfalls and stuff. But uh, yeah, no, uh, yeah, you, I'll, I'll I'll try to put more more content up there. Amazing, and not that you not that you need to, but I feel like if if people want to kind of follow along the journey or have any questions, I mean, you've obviously been. Well, one of the things I want to do is I want to I want to start putting my experiences raising this, this venture fund and. and Trying to put things in, trying to trying to get a little more out there about me, a little more about you know personally my perspective on growing this. How can I help companies? Because the reason why I had the fund is to help companies. You know, yes, I'd like to make money, but also I like you know quality individuals. I'd like to see them grow and like to help them build companies. So um, uh, I want to put a little more out there, a little more content out uh, for people to kind of kind of start. You know, maybe maybe resources and and, and advice that can help those companies grow as well. So I, I'm thinking, I'm toying with the idea of doing a podcast around company building and, uh, and startups and things. That's great. Well, I know the perfect studio. Yeah, right. <laughs> right down the street from your house. And um, I mean, I think even just like, even if people are at the beginning stages or, you know, advanced levels of, of what you're doing in that, I think you, I mean, speaking, even though it was pretty surface level, like the competency of what you're doing and your successes kind of speak for themselves. But what you were able to talk about today was incredibly helpful for me, and I hope everyone else got something out of it as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's great. I mean, I appreciate the opportunity to come in and do this, right? Uh, you know, it's only you as a podcast moderator that would bring me in here because I, I've seen you, you know, with people and weddings and, and stuff like that. You just like you. You kind of know the right questions to ask. You know the right things to talk about. You know you you definitely put people at ease. You've got a natural way about you there, a skilled skill there there that that I, I'm envious of and, and appreciative of in this, this sort of this sort of you know doing a podcast like this. Well, thanks, Bob. I appreciate that. It is a little bit awkward having conversations with your best friends, pretending you're, that I don't like no answers. Or, you know, I, like tell like old stories. I bet you didn't stuff. know a single answer I said here today. <laughs> There's a few where I was like, oh, you know, I didn't know that. But, you know, knowing a lot of the stuff, like the CrossFit games and that journey, it's just, it's cool. It's cool to sit and chat with your friends. I mean, who would have thought, you know, in 2013, in August, down in St. Yeah. Thomas, yeah. <clears throat> which, by the way, it's not always, it's not always like, it's come, we're not talking about, rocket science and fitness all the time like we like to have a good time too and um and i think sometimes those are the you know sitting around a beach um i haven't figured out yet exactly you know there are people come in and out of your lives and sometimes they come into your life and they leave right and it's like yeah just not right but but you know you're one of my enduring friends who's come into my life and you know we march together now right so um I haven't figured out the, the formula for that. <laughs> maybe you just got to meet a lot of people in the right one stick. I don't. I don't. Maybe it's a, maybe that's the theme of this podcast. But the uh, uh, you know certainly you know I, I valued our ten years as friend as friends and stuff like that. And uh, uh, but I haven't figured out like what the formula is and why certain people stay with you and certain people don't. Yeah. I don't know. I think we've got a pretty good group right now. So yeah, it's I great. Whatever the magic yeah. is, we just keep rolling with it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> All right, guys, and if you, um, if you are listening to this for the first time and you don't know where to find us, at Big Night Fitness on Instagram. Uh, if you want to keep updated with what we have going on as far as classes, podcasts, retreats, celebrity training, 
hotel, train, I mean, everything that we do, you can go to www.bignightfitness.com and keep up with us there. We'll see you guys next week for another episode of the BeFit Podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye.